I'm not sure how I did it, but in all my years of schooling, I never took a physics class. So I'm happy to have on the Pickleball Fire podcast today, Tom Meyer, who will explain the physics of the game in a way that I think we can all relate to. So let's get to the intro to hear from Tom. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Tom Meyer. How are you doing today, Tom? Good. Very good. Well, I know you reached out to me a few weeks ago, and I was a little delayed on getting back to you, but I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Now, normally, I do start off with a little bit about your background with Pickleball, pretty much how you got started, how long ago that was. So go ahead and tell your story. Okay. I was a tennis coach for 50 years, and I had neck decompression surgery, and that went perfect. But when the neurosurgeon pulled out, he hit my left arm nerve, so I don't have left arm for the rest of my life. I even had Roger Federer's neurosurgeon try to move nerves around in my arm, but that didn't work either. So what happened, I, I couldn't coach tennis anymore, so I started coaching pickleball. And when I was coaching tennis, I, I combined it with physics. I studied a very famous physicist from the University of Pennsylvania named Howard Brody. He was interested in tennis. He wrote several books about how physics and tennis work together. I mean, one, one of his things was that the sweet spot on the tennis racket isn't in the middle. It's at the bottom of the racket because you have more mass there. And then I studied with him. I also studied with a guy named Oscar Wegner, who, who was an engineer. And he could teach anybody in tennis, teach anybody tennis in one hour. Where and the other tennis pros hated him because the other tennis pros wanted to keep teaching on and on and on. But this guy could teach somebody tennis in an hour because he knew physics and engineering, and uh, discovered that the key, the whole key that I discovered was that it's mass times acceleration squared, and the mass is the paddle. If you grip it tight, you get a little bit of your arm as part of the mass. And the acceleration squared, the acceleration is right before you hit it and right after you hit it. And I discovered that to get that acceleration, you don't need to take the racket back. It's a waste of motion. It's a tremendous timing problem. So whenever I teach pickleball, you only you start at the hip and you go forward. You never take the racket back further than the hip. And that's worked wonders with hundreds of students. All right. Now, you have already given some amazing insight into the game. And I actually want to back up a little bit because one of the first things that you said was that with a tennis racket, the sweet spot is not in the middle of the racket. It's, right. it's at the bottom. Now, right. what about pickleball? Where is the sweet spot? Same thing. Same thing. Uh, you get the most power if you hit it towards the handle. Now, that's a really interesting concept. And I think most people would be really surprised to hear that because, and it's funny because all the paddle manufacturers say they, they 
have a big sweet spot. But right. actually, do you know of anybody who kind of has that sweet spot down towards the handle of the paddle? Because that seems like it'd be kind of rev- revolution. I haven't found a manufacturer that's actually for that. But I think the manufacturers still think the sweet spots. There may be some, that, but I don't know of it. It, might, it may occur. But if the person to investigate is Howard Brody, B-R-O-D-Y. He's, he's, he was a famous physicist at the University of Pennsylvania, and he loved tennis. So he discovered stuff like, they, they say tennis serve is 100 miles an hour. But after it bounces, it's 50. The court slows it up by 50 miles an hour. So it's, uh, people think, oh, the guy's serving 100 miles an hour. No, he isn't. He's serving in 50. <laughs> it's the same thing in pickleball. You think you're serving it fast? The course slows it down by 30, 30, 40%. Interesting. Now, going back to the sweet spot, do you, when you teach, do you tell your students to hit the sweet spot, which is actually down near the handle? And if so, how do they learn how to do that? It takes 10,000 balls. And then I teach something called the fade and the draw. The fade is the ball will curve to the left. The draw, the ball curves to the right. To hit a draw, you hit the top right side of the rack of the paddle, and you hit the top right side of the ball. To hit a fade, you hit the bottom right side of the paddle and the bottom right side of the ball. Interesting, because that is something that I hit naturally. I kind of tend, from racquetball, I tend to swing a little bit inside out. So actually my ball goes to the left. From And actually, I've been working to try and actually get it to curve the other way. But that's definitely a work in progress. And those are fairly advanced concepts for players. And a lot of beginners are like, how do I get the ball to, to spin like that? Yeah, but, but, really... but, but to get above a 3.5, you got to know how to hit a fade and a draw. The, pro, the pros don't actually know why they're doing it, but they've hit so many balls, they do it naturally. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. So we kind of circle back again to, because I'm really actually personally interested in this. No, would obviously drill a lot. Everything in, in getting better in, in pickleball is really about being lots of balls, like you said, 10,000 10, balls. But do you get a little it, resistance? 10,000 balls every stroke. It's 10,000 forehands, right. 10,000 backhands, 10,000 volleys, 10,000 serves. It's not just hitting 10,000 balls. You have to hit 10,000 of every stroke. So do you get some kind of people questioning you, your students at all, when you say hit more near the handle? Yeah, they say they never heard of that before. But then I explained to them the physics of it. And I explained to them that there's more mass at the bottom of the paddle because you have the handle right there than there is in the middle. Because the mass at the bottom part of the bracket includes part of the handle. So you don't get that part if you hit in the middle or at the top of the paddle. So if you put some of the weighted tape on the top of your paddle, then that would tend to actually move the sweet spot farther up, more towards the Right. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. Well, up to a degree, up to a degree. But you're not going to have enough tape to to equal the amount that the handle. See, what, what happens, the handle is also the handle. If you grip it tight, 
it's the handle and part of your arm becomes the mass. So if I'm trying to hit a really uh, fast serve, I grip the paddle very tight because I get more mass. It's mass times acceleration squared. But the trade-off is if you grip the handle real tight, you can't accelerate that fast. So actually, actually sometimes I do one, sometimes I do the other. People have to experiment. Do they want to concentrate on the acceleration part or the mass part? Right. So far, we've kind of mostly covered the mass part, which is really interesting. But then the acceleration portion, you kind of went over that pretty quickly. But I think the bottom line was you don't really need to take the paddle very far back. You don't really need a backswing. Is I think basically no, you, what you, you were you saying. You see, you see all the pros, all, all you know, uh, the, the Ben Johns, all those pros and uh, Waters. They they never take the short. And actually, tennis players should be doing the same thing. I, I uh, was almost going to coach Francis Tiafo, who's a, a top twenty player who will never be a top ten player because he takes his racket back too far. But they wouldn't let him let me coach him because he's hit a million balls with with the racket swing he has. He never misses a backhand because his body gets in the way, so he can't take the racket back. If you look at statistics, he misses twice as many forehands than backhands. Yeah, he definitely has some long strokes, but that's not uncommon, especially in tennis. But really, no, in, no, in, in, in five years, it'll be uncommon because my there, there's a couple other guys that are teaching the way I do. So the way people are going to start hitting is you're going to see much shorter backswings. That's going to be the next revolution in tennis, shorter backswings. And what, what's going to be the next revolution in pickleball? Shorter, much shorter back. Everybody takes the pat. It's if you set the racket at your hip and you go forward. Too many people take the racket back and go forward. That's two steps. All you have to do is set the racket and go forward because you mistime it when you go back and forward. Don't mistime it if all you do is go forward. And the key is you watch the ball hit the paddle and you don't move your head until the paddle hits your shoulder because. The head is the heaviest part of your body. And if you move your head, it throws off the whole stroke. And also, it helps you see the ball better. Roger Federer was number one in the, in, in the world because he did that. And now everybody's copied him. He was the only player for 10 years that kept his head down until he finished the stroke. And some people even said he didn't have the, he didn't see the ball hit the racket. He saw the racket hit the ball. He looked at it from the back side of the racket to the ball. But you can't do that in pickleball because the, the, the paddle's solid. So. Right. But the point is you've got to keep your eye on the ball all the way through your stroke. All the way through. You can't lift your head. I mean, if you're a 3-5 player, you know where the ball's going. You don't have to watch where the ball's going. You just have to. It's completely different when you're balling at the kitchen line, but when you're doing a stroke, you know, that's the theory. At the kitchen line, everything's straight ahead. Okay, and so... I, I, I do want to mention one thing that I do that, that might help people is I, in my bedroom, I put a picture of a pickleball player on my wall, and at the end of bed, I put a, a pickleball. So I, I practice moving my eyes by taking my eyes from the pickleball player to the ball to the pickleball player, to the ball. And that's how I exercise my eyes. 
and that, that's helped me quite a bit. So that helps you with your reaction my eyes, time? My eyes go, are faster. My eyes are faster. Yeah. My reactions are much faster because I've trained my eyes to react fast. Yeah. And I think that's a great idea because a lot of people, especially as you get older, your reaction time definitely slows, but now you're actually suggesting that there are ways that you can actually improve on that. Now, most people do it just on paper. I went the extra step and printed out a picture of a pickleball player. At the end of the bed, I smashed a pickleball. And I put it on the poster of the bed. So every morning I spent about five minutes just looking at the pickleball player and the ball, pickleball player, player in the ball, pickleball player in the ball. And so why is it important to actually use like something from the game in terms of the ball and then actually a picture of the pickleball player? Because that, that, that sort of replicates real replicates what you're actually doing in the game. You're watching your opponent. When you watch your opponent, you're watching their paddle. So the paddle tells you everything. If the paddle is tilted one way or if they swing back further, what the speed of the ball is going to do. But a lot of players don't watch the opponent's paddle. The opponent's paddle tell you everything, tell you where there's going to be a, a, a side spin, underspin, a top spin. But they don't take advantage. And then they don't, they don't look at the angle of the racket. If the angle is going up, the ball's going up. You, you have to observe everything in pickleball. You have to take everything into account. The top players know where the ball is going before, before the other player hits it. Because they've become so expert at watching their opponent's paddle, they know exactly where it's going to go. So then it's really not so important to watch their body or watch the hips, it's just the paddle. Yeah, yeah. watch the stroke path of the paddle, right? And if you come at their level, some of them even watch where they're hitting the ball on the paddle because they know if they hit the ball close to the handle, the ball's coming faster. And so are there some other keys to improving your anticipation. It's clear that you definitely want to look at the paddle, see the direction, see where it's hitting on the ball is hitting on the paddle. But what about the ball itself? Okay. Here's what people have to do. They hit the ball. And then the first thing they notice, where on the court is the ball? The second thing they notice is how is the opponent hitting the ball? And right as the opponent hits the ball, you start moving. Let's go. Let's say it's going to your high forehand. You want to place your paddle at your shoulder level and just go forward and not move your head. And then your goal. You have to watch everything. You have to see where the other player is. You have to, like, like people stand in the same spot to receive serve all the time. What I recommend is start standing in the same spot. When the person ducks their head, drop the ball, then you move because every player usually hits it most of the time in the same spot. But if they see you leaning one way or another, they're not going to notice that you move because their head is down and they can't see. You I like that. I mean, that's a really simple thing to do, but it's, it can be incredibly effective. Right. And the other major thing is people don't know where to stand on the court. They're, my teaching, you stand two places on the court. You either stand on the kitchen line or on the baseline. Preferably, you stand on the kitchen line. But what a player should do is after they miss a ball, they should notice what stroke they hit and where on the court they are. All three, five players 
will notice that the, it, most of the strokes they miss are backhands in no man's land. And then what about higher level players? Where do they, where are they normally they, they standing more than the, the kitchen line? So they have to understand that, that they have to practice and stuff like that. And, but too many people, when they warm up, they only warm up at the net. You got to warm up your whole game. You got to warm up your serve. You got to warm up your mid-court game. It's, you're, you're wasting your time if all you do is warm up your short game. Very true. Now, I mean, and, and, just and, and, and everywhere up, up below the 3.5 level, that's all they do. They hit a few, they hit 10 balls at the kitchen line and they never practice any other shot. Now, I have to admit, we've only talked for eh, maybe almost 20 minutes and you, your knowledge, I mean, you can just see what the understanding of physics, tennis for 50 years, and you've got a website that's, I think, probably got a really good resource. Can you tell the audience about that? Yeah, I have a website that tells you everything you need to know about pickleball in, in 25 minutes. It's called pickleballtomhowto.com. You know, the word pickleball, my name is Tom, and I tell people how to do stuff. So it's pickleballtomhowto.com. And it, it explains what I do. And there's a video on there for 10 bucks that, that explains everything you need to know about pickleball, all the techniques. So what I will do for a beginner, it will tell them everything they need to know. For a, a 3.5 player, it'll get them to a 4 So that's kind of like a Oscar Wigner's idea of somebody tennis in one hour. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you know Oscar Wigner? No, I was just you had Oscar mentioned Wagner, him. Oscar Wagner would have been the greatest coach in tennis ever. But the other coaches blackballed him because he could teach anybody tennis in an hour. And his whole theory, theory also was short backswing. The trouble with Oscar, he was a professional tennis player. And the trouble with he became a Scientologist, so that sort of diverted his attention. But Oscar Wegner was a tennis pro on PBS. When PBS had a series about how to play tennis, he was a pro on PBS about 20 years ago. And so with pickleball, you can actually teach him, teach that game even faster because you said it's you've got a 25-minute video, right? Yeah, no, I, I taught tennis. I could teach anybody tennis in, in, in six hours. I can teach anybody pickleball in one hour. Or if they watch now my why? video, they can get it in in a short period of time. What I recommend is that they watch the video and then take a, a lesson with me. I do virtual lessons or in-person lessons. I'm, I live in Gaithersburg, Maryland, anywhere within 50 miles. I, I travel to the to people. I charge quite, I charge 80 bucks if they do it in Gaithersburg, I charge a hundred if I have to travel somewhere. So, but that, that for a good pickleball coach, that's that's what the going rate is going to be anyway. Very true. And I'm curious, why is it quicker to teach people pickleball than than tennis? Because you said one hour versus six hours. Because the court is half the size, and, and it, it's all doubles. On tennis, you have to learn singles and doubles. Ninety percent of pickleball is doubles. So you only have to learn how to cover half the court and 
there, there's in tennis there's much more strategy involved in pickleball the first team that gets to the kitchen line usually wins it. all right well then in terms of next steps is there anything else you think pickleball players should yeah one thing they use a closed stance on the serve they should use an open stance when you're when you have a closed stance if the ball goes behind you you have to take an extra step if you have an open stance you can move it in any direction so i'm a big proponent of the open stance serve where where both feet are on the baseline not where one foot is behind the other i think that's a wasted motion yes and actually if people watch the pros i spent a lot of time this week watching the uh, ppa PA event in Florida, and most of the pros, not all of them, use the same stance that you are recommending. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean that that was uh, six months ago. You hardly saw anybody doing it. Now everybody's doing it. All right. And, well, you and, have definitely. I, I I definitely recommend everybody to read your magazine. Your magazine's great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And I really appreciate you being on the Pickleball Fire podcast today. I'm actually going to check out your video. You dropped some tremendous knowledge bombs. You've given me so much to think about. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Okay, sure. It was nice talking to you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.